Hi everyone, I'm Abby Feeder, Certified Life and Fertility Coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Chick. This show is all about the road to parenthood, which is never the same, and our guests' professional successes along the way. One of the most exciting parts about working in the reproductive space is the amount of technology and emotional and societal changes and progressions that are happening on literally a daily basis. Yes, we move backwards in several directions politically as well, but let's focus today on the positive because our amazing guest, Lauren Mackler, has really reframed egg donation specifically and egg freezing. She's one of the founders of Co-Fertility who are changing the face of egg donation and the experience for those seeking to reproduce with third-party donors like an egg donor. I love their company. I love her other co-founders. She has so much to share. And of course, she's also going through her own journey as we speak. I cannot wait for you to hear the innovation behind co-fertility and how much passion Lauren has about the topic. Please enjoy. Hi, Lauren. Hi. The funniest part is that it's not often that my guests are like under two miles away from me, and you are, <laughs> and yet here we are. Face, like we could have done a face to face, you know, which I we know. will. I yes. we need to, but it we is it is usually someone much further away. That's for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I'm so happy to have you here. I want to talk about so many things. You just told me, and I'm super excited for you that your company Co Fertility is in the New York Times today. Yes. So why don't we work up to there, starting okay. with you personally? <laughs> like, let's give yeah. a little context and um, sure. and you you. Tell us how how and why you founded Co-Fertility and how it relates to your personal story. Yes, absolutely. So I'll start just by sharing what is Co-Fertility. We launched this past October and we give women the opportunity to freeze their eggs for free when they donate half of the eggs retrieved to intended parents that can't otherwise conceive, whether that's gay men, people who struggle with fertility issues or cancer survivors, right? There's so many reasons someone might be need an egg donor. And we do it in a way that takes out cash compensation from the equation and is really human-centered and, and new. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really exciting to, to bring it out into the world and, and to have it be used by so many people. So it's been really exciting. You asked uh, the why or, or how my story relates to it. Yes. And I think, you know, if you asked me a few years ago where I thought my career would go, I never would have guessed this direction, <laughs> but I'm so happy that it did. I really am. And my journey is one that I actually, I was working at Uber at the time. I, I spent eight years there and had, you know, launched Uber across the East Coast and then started the healthcare arm of Uber. So I was, I was thinking about Um, access to care for patients through things like transportation and delivery when I became a patient myself. Um, I had a pain in my side and pushed for some diagnostic testing. And it turned out that I had an incredibly rare abdominal disease. I'm like one of 150 people on the planet to ever get it. It was benign, but I still had masses growing everywhere throughout my abdomen and pelvis. And, you know, I brought a lot of questions to the forefront for me. Things like, you know, first, how do I navigate this disease? But also like, what does this mean for my future fertility? I knew I wanted to be a mom someday. I wasn't there yet, but wanted to know what my options would be. 
And I learned that I would have to have a number of surgeries to remove the disease and that there was a chance that I would lose my ovaries in the process. And um, that was like devastating to hear. I had to like sign paperwork saying like, if you need to take my ovaries, do it, right? Were you already partnered at that time or no? So I had just started dating my now husband. We were like- Good man, good man. Yeah. Oh, that's how you know, right? It's like if you go through something like this with someone in the early days, um, that they're like the one. It actually- was right around the time The Big Sick came out. I don't know if mm-hmm. you remember that movie. I love that movie. Oh, so good. But we were like, whoa, this is us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, hits home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we had to the point where like, I remember taking a friend with me to meet with the reproductive endocrinologist because I was like, oh, I don't think I can take Jake to this. Like it was that new of a relationship. Um And I asked, you know, can I freeze my eggs? What are my options? But given how rare my disease was, they opted, you know, not to take that chance just because there was no one else in history that they had documented who had done egg freezing with my disease. And so um, that's when egg donation came up as something that might be in my future. And I am a planner, if nothing else. And so I started looking into egg donation. I just like wanted to understand like what would be ahead of me if that were the outcome. And I was really surprised by what I saw. I felt that for something that is how so many people grow their family, it just seemed very outdated and transactional. Mm -hmm. I was surprised by the sort of cash compensation involved and just how much cash compensation is. And uh, at the time, I remember thinking like, okay, if I wanted a Jewish donor, like, what would that take, right? And I realized the more specific you get with what you're looking for in a donor, the higher the cash compensation goes, which just didn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also felt very, you know, this whole idea of anonymity and not knowing the person, like just felt like didn't leave me feeling good. Let's put it that way. Um, and at the time, my incredible sister, um, who she had already had two children, um, said to me, look, Lauren, like, I'd give my left arm if it meant you could be a mom someday. Um, Let me do this. And so she froze her eggs and donated them to me ahead of my surgeries. And that way I would, you know, if I woke up without ovaries, like I would know that I had those eggs there for me. Right. And um, that's what she did. It was incredible of her. Um, And Three surgeries later, they somehow were able to keep my ovaries, which I'm very grateful for. And years later, ultimately, I was able to conceive my now two-year-old daughter without using my sister's eggs. But when I gave birth to Eden, that's her name, when I gave birth, I sort of had this like, whoa, oh my gosh, it's time for me to move on from Uber and I have to build something in the reproductive health space. Mm -hmm. I had never stopped thinking about egg freezing and egg donation. And, you know, it just was so prevalent in my mind. And that's when I connected with Hallie Teco, who is one of my amazing co-founders, who too really felt there were a lot of things in the space that could be solved. One is, you know, really around um, bringing egg donation further, right? Like how do we get more diverse egg donors? How do we make it more ethical and human-centered and and how do we do right by intended parents, but also this idea, and she always says, she always says, like, I did a lot of cool things in my 20s, 
my biggest regret is that egg freezing wasn't one of them. Do you think based on our demographic of people you and I know, I think 90% of them would say the same? Yeah. Yeah. And she totally, right? It's this idea that like, you know, when she was in her 20s or any of us, right, maybe we didn't know about egg freezing or we didn't know that it was something that we could do. And then also the cost was too high, right? And then when we think about it, we've dug in on this, right? The best time to freeze your eggs is when you can least afford it, right? Right. That's when you have a greater quantity of eggs. That's when you have better quality of eggs. And yet it is cost prohibitive for most people. And so we felt that, you know, there are women out there who egg freezing is a great option for, right? And maybe those are women who are, you know, in med school and know that, you know, it's going to be years and years of training and, you know, studying that is going to make them put off growing their family. Or maybe it's someone who has, you know, student loan debt or things like that and wants to get into a different place financially before they grow their family, right? They deserve to make this option or to like decide to freeze their eggs and it needs to be more accessible. Mm -hmm. And so that's really where creating this came from. We wanted there to be an option that really um, served both sides. I want to talk about specifically the human-centered piece of it. Um, Yeah. This piece is really interesting to me, especially on the other end being a fertility coach. And I've actually spoken at length with Hallie about this because – and I've said this to you before, like I was really wrong about it. I just like I just remember I was looking for an embryo for a client and I was like, mm-hmm. I don't care where we get it. We just need this embryo. And there was somebody that was posting anonymous embryo donor embryos yep. that were left and ha- and I had reposted it and Hallie was like, this is so ethically wrong. And I was like, I don't care. I just want to get my client yeah. a baby. You know, that was my focus. But she and I really talked about it and – She's so right. So talk to me about what that means and sort of what the research has shown now that we are 40-ish years into the IVF process and what it's like from the donor-conceived person perspective, because that is a perspective that I think so many wanting parents don't think about, right? They just think about getting their happy ending. So can we talk about that a little? Yeah. So for us, when we say human-centered, it means like we think about the three parties that are involved in an egg donation, right? There is, of course, these recipient parents, right? The intended parents that come to us who need an egg donor. Then there is an egg donor, right? And she is a person who has a future ahead of her and has thoughts and hopes and dreams and deserves to be treated as a person, right? Not as like a production source, which is unfortunately what we see in this space. But then there's this third person that we feel is so, so important for us to consider, and that's the donor-conceived person on the other end of it, right? And I completely see why that person is sometimes overlooked in the sense that, especially when someone needs an egg donor because of infertility, which I think is different than if you have like a gay man who obviously needs a donor to have a baby, right? right? When it comes to when it's an infertility situation, right? You have someone who has been pursuing this road usually for a very long time, right? There's a lot of maybe they've tried IUI for a while and they've tried IVF and maybe they've had losses along the way and and it is a long journey. And so by the time they get to donor eggs, they're just like, okay, this is the last stop on the road, like, let's try this. They haven't necessarily 
gotten around to realizing that this child will have a different lived experience than the child they were working toward in those other steps of the process, Mm -hmm. right? And so we see our role as one where, who needs to like bring that up and who needs to have that conversation with intended parents. And so it is not always easy. It is not necessarily something intended parents want to hear or want to talk about, but we feel it's our responsibility to have that conversation on behalf of that future donor conceived person. Mm. And what the conversation looks like, I think, is is about a few things. And we worked closely with an organization called the Donor Conceived Council. They are an advocacy group made up of all donor conceived people who work to influence the rights and experience of future donor conceived people. We have so much respect for what that organization does. And what it means, it's really around what information that donor conceived person has access to and when they have access to it, right? In terms of their own being in this world, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a few things. One is like how and when do you tell your donor-conceived child that they are donor-conceived, right? What we've learned from the USDCC and others in the space is that the sooner you tell a donor-conceived person that they're donor-conceived, right? Like even, you know, through children's books at a really young age, the less like traumatic being donor-conceived is for them, right? If they always know it as part of their identity, it doesn't become such a thing later on, right? I think it's when it's a shock later, that's when it can become challenging. And I think too, we talk about this with intended parents a lot, which is if things like 23andMe exist now, Mm -hmm. what will it be like 18 years from now, right? Mm -hmm. And so to sort of anticipate that, knowing that it is likely that your child will want to know where their genetics come from or someone may put those pieces together for them. I had recently heard a story from a donor-conceived person who he found out he was donor-conceived at 18 when he got a Facebook message from a genetic relative, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we think just let's think about that up front and, and have that as something that you think through early. And then the other piece of this is really around disclosure with the donor. So we explain the 23andMe thing to all of the donors on our platform and the same with intended parents. And I think when they realize that, they're like, oh, then like I might as well share my contact information now. We might as well do this as a disclosed match. It doesn't mean you need to have a relationship with the donor by any means, but at least you know, if your child has questions later in life, having that information can be really valuable. We've heard of scenarios where, you know, a donor conceived person ends up wanting to like hire a private investigator to find their right. donor. Right. And at that point, the donor's like, well, I said this was anonymous. Like, I don't want to have a, I don't want to go there. And so we just feel like if we can be upfront about that early, then it's less likely to become a thing later on. Right. It, it's almost like preemptively gaining control of the situation before it gets out of control. Yeah. Do you have donors that want to and can have fully open relationships? Yes. So we have a lot of, we've had a lot of women who've used surrogates and they almost all maintain a relationship with the surrogate after. And it's such a different dynamic because the genetics are different. Yes, it is definitely different. And we like share the information we have. We feel we're a resource, but it's important to be clear that like 
this is a judgment-free zone, right? And that intended parents and donors should think about what is right for them and their future and decide what type of relationship they want to have that's right for them and no pressure from us on that. We've had everything from, you know, intended parents meeting their donor for brunch and, you know, meeting in person to Zoom match meetings where we provide conversation starters ahead of time and the member advocate who's overseeing the match helps facilitate that conversation. I've had the opportunity to sit in on some of those and they're like the most incredible meetings I have ever witnessed. Like Mm. best career, like meeting of my career, you know, because it's such a, it's a really big deal. And when they, you know, to, to have that type of relationship and bond is pretty amazing. I've also seen, you know, cases where someone's like, let's just send an email once a year to like peripherally, you know, stay in touch and to like have that contact, maybe send photos once a year to, you know, really close relationships. So it, I think sometimes it's also good to like leave yourself open and to wait until you have that match meeting and to decide how you feel once you've met each other, right? Because you can't necessarily be so prescriptive about what that is until you know who the person is that you're working with. Right. Right. And so how do you approach women in terms of inquiring? Do they come to you? Do you go to them? Is it a combo of both? Yeah, definitely a combo of both. I think for us, what we've realized is that there are so many amazing women who are being thoughtful and planning their own future, right? Some of the people I mentioned before, like, you know, I have this career ambition or I haven't met my partner yet and I want to be thoughtful about being a mom someday or at least leaving my options open. But what's really exciting to see too is that they're incredibly open-minded about the way families today are built, right? Mm -hmm. Like they realize it's much more dynamic than it's ever been, right? Maybe they themselves are part of the LGBTQ community and they know that to have a baby, they need the help of the third party, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe they have friends who've struggled with fertility issues or they have friends who are donor conceived. Like they get that. And so I think it's really amazing to see the women who come through our program and to hear, we ask them like, what about this resonated with you? Or like, why are you participating in the program? And so many of them have said things like, you know, I've always thought about egg donation, but never really res- – like, you know, didn't really feel right until I saw this or I mm. felt like I could, like, do this for both of us. Um, and so, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool to see, you know, oh, my friend is going through the program and I wanted to do it too. Or this feels like something I have been long awaiting, right? Mm. Like, that's mm. really cool to hear. Is it more – do you feel like it's more – I mean, of course it's a combo, but I'm I'm hearing, I'm feeling like it's more women who are – want to make this give versus women who want to freeze their eggs. Do you feel like it's – I mean, of course it's a mix, but I, it sounds yeah. like everyone's coming to it with such a, a, a generosity of spirit and heart yeah. and eggs. <laughs> um, well, I can tell you I don't and, – and part of the process, right? Like there's a lot of screening involved. There's a sure. lot of upfront uh, – like details they need to share about their medical history and and then not to mention like all of this the in-person screening and a psych eval and a number of steps to the process. So I think that like someone has to be really down with the donation part of this yeah. if they're gonna go through sure. with it. And so I definitely think that that resonates with a lot of women. Um, maybe they they come to us thinking like, I really want to find a way to to freeze my eggs. What are my options? 
Um, We also have a program called Keep, and that's for women who maybe don't qualify to donate their eggs or who just aren't interested in donation because we would never want to push anybody to do that either, right? And so we still want to help them find a way to freeze their eggs. And that's why our Keep programs can be great for them. Oh, amazing. I didn't realize you did both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. We don't want to leave anyone hanging. So we have partnerships with different clinics and different providers in the process that we can help um, lighten the financial burden Uh as well as a private community for anyone who's going through the egg freezing process with us to to like lean on one another for support. Sure. Um, Because we know it can be lonely and it doesn't need to be. For sure. And tell me about this this partnership piece. Like based on where your partnerships are, can this can you only participate in places where you have a collaboration with a particular clinic? Thankfully, no. So you can participate. So we can work with intended parents and donors or people who are looking to freeze their eggs anywhere nationwide. Our model is what we call clinic agnostic, meaning that if you come to us and you go to a clinic that we have never heard of in, you know, Chicago, and you really want to stick with your clinic and you want the donor to travel to your clinic to complete her cycle, that's oftentimes something that we can absolutely make happen. We would never want to like take someone away from a doctor that they really know and trust. As long as your clinic will work with outside donors, which most will, Mm -hmm. that's no problem. I think the reason we built out a preferred network of partners is because there are a lot of times intended parents come to us and say, I don't have a clinic and, or, you know, they want to do the cycle local to the donor to like avoid the expense of having her travel or the experience of having her travel. And so sometimes they look to us and say, do you have a clinic that I can go to in whatever city to make this happen? And that's what we do. Got it. And so like in the scenario where somebody wants their donor to come to their clinic and finish their cycle there, like how does co-fertility, can co-fertility ease the burden of the financial piece in that kind of scenario? Or do you just help provide support and administer the process? Yeah. So on the financial burden, so like that comment before was related to our KEEP program. So that's for women who are looking to freeze their eggs. I think um, for intended parents, one of the biggest ways that we're helping to alleviate the financial burden associated with egg donation is by taking out cash compensation, mm-hmm. right? So typically you'd be paying around $10,000, if not more, right? The more specific right. you get, it's, oh, 25000 or right. crazy amounts. Um, no matter which donor you choose on our platform, whether she is like a specific, you know, level of degree or, you know, specific heritage there, you will always pay the same co-fertility coordination mm-hmm. fee. The costs will always be the same. So we'll never like charge a different amount for a different person. So that's something that I feel really strongly about and I yeah. think is important. Mm-hmm. I love that. And talk to me about your business partners and how, I know we, we yeah. talked briefly about Hallie, but talk to me about Ayala yeah. and, and yeah. how you all ended up together. Yeah. So we, we felt really strongly that, um, well, Hallie, like we had met peripherally like a a couple times, I think, you know, being very involved in the digital health world and seeing Hallie as someone who um, was always sort of a role model to me in this space, just given how much she had done both as an investor and an operator. And she like randomly DM'd me on Instagram and was like, (laughs) (laughs) just like the universe aligned in a way that truly was, um, uh, amazing. And so we got together and started sort of 
jamming on like, what could this be? And it was very apparent to us that um, in a way we're sort of rebranding egg donation. um, And at the same time, um, educating women on their fertility and bringing it to an audience that maybe was less familiar and really needed needed education and support. And Ariel Spiegel had built what was really the first version of Co-Fertility, which was like a content site that was focused on education and making sure people's fertility questions had been asked and answered. And um, prior to that, she had been at Victoria's Secret Pink, which is like their younger uh audience. And so it felt really important to us that we had um, her perspective leading the charge as to um, how do we communicate this in the world, right? And so we brought Arielle in and it also just felt like the name co-fertility was so appropriate for what we were doing. Um, When you think about community and you think about sort of the togetherness nature of what we're doing, right? In third-party reproduction, you need the help of others. And so um, it felt really just like the name to do this with. Um, mm. And so we got together and. And um, she was obviously on board because you guys are partners, but that's also a very convenient form of alignment from the universe. Totally. Um, no, yeah. I'm a big believer in the universe yeah. helping to bring the right people together at the right time, you know? Yeah. Um, and since we have hired the most incredible team that I am like, in awe of every day. I am just like, wow, how did we get so lucky with this group of people, all of whom have their own like reasons for caring about what we do. Um, And so it feels, I think to everybody, just like about, it's, it's so much more than like, oh, this is the job I come to every day. Right. You know? Yeah. So how did you end up in the New York Times? Let's bring it back to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, What's the article? I haven't seen it yet. Yes. So it is an article that came out um, as we approach Father's Day this weekend. And what it really looks at, and I, I think I think Mother's Day is something where we've really started to have this conversation around the fact that like it can be really hard for a lot of people to experience Mother's Day, right? It can be triggering. It can be upsetting, whether no matter where you are in this journey. And what this piece in the New York Times does is talk about what that experience is like for hopeful fathers mm. and for men who are on this journey. Um, and we are so thrilled that the story of one of our intended parents is being told in that article. Um, his perspective as one as a man who is going through this journey on his own. Mm. And he matched with an incredible split member or donor from Cofertility. And I'll never forget my first meeting with him. I just was like so blown away by like his perspective on what we were doing and why it felt so in alignment with the family he wants to create. And I actually like after meeting him, like handpicked who his donor was. Like I just like knew I had a feeling and they hit it off. And so they've met, you know, both on Zoom and I, you know, more than just the one time. And I think they have a beautiful relationship. So that article came out today. 
Amazing. Today's episode of The Fertility Chick is my husband actually offering the male perspective of what we went through as well. Yes. For the same reason, because, you know, we're entrenched in this space. So you and I know so many women who talk openly about it, which when we probably started our journeys, they did not. But it is much harder for the male vulnerability. It's not talked about as much and it is Mm -hmm. just as strong for so many of them. So I love that they did that article. Yeah, Yeah, me too. I think it's like, more of that needs to happen. Are your sister's eggs still on ice? They are, yes. And yeah. Do you talk about it often with her or with Jake, we, your husband? Yeah, we do talk about it. I think for me, you know, the question we have this one beautiful child, and our hope is to have another. And so I think knowing again that those eggs are there provides comfort for me. I don't know if we'll need them or if we'll go that route, but I guess just like knowing that they're there means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about, and you know this all too well, is about egg freezing is that it's such a wonderful insurance policy and never always a guarantee. There's no guarantees no matter what, right? Like we work so hard to try to insure ourselves in every possible way and we we just can't give it 100% guarantee. And we tell women that all the time, right? I hate when it's positioned as anything other. I don't even like using the term insurance policy, honestly, because that can be deceiving. I don't know. Yeah. I just like, I want to be clear that like, it is not a guarantee. It's not an insurance policy. However, people who do freeze their eggs do have a higher chance of having a baby later in life with those eggs than if they didn't have them at all. Right. So for me, it's like, I feel better knowing those eggs are there, but I definitely don't completely trust like, oh, they're there. So it's no problem. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. How are you feeling working in a very small company versus Uber? I mean, this must be so bizarrely different. It Well, I joined Uber when there were about 200 employees. Amazing. So I saw that company go from 200 to 20,000 people. Yeah. So really saw it change quite a bit. And and this does remind me quite a bit of the, those early days. I remember when I first got to Uber, I was in the Boston office and it was like, I think there were maybe seven of us in that office and they're like yeah if you want a desk like we can order one from ikea and you build it <laughs> i was like my um, i'm cool i'll just sit on the couch like no big deal okay. and we like ordered groceries from instacart everywhere like it was really a startup environment so i'm definitely brought back to that i think the things that i like didn't realize were or like the things that i took for granted being at a company even of 200 people is that like there's so much behind the scenes that happens like running payroll and recruiting and onboarding new employees. And um, like you are all of those things. Like you are calling someone's references. You are figuring out how to pay different state taxes wherever you're employed. Like it's a lot, Mm -hmm. but it's worth it, right? Like every time, like when we make a match, like it comes through on Slack and it's like you match and it is the best feeling ever. Even my daughter now goes, we made a match. Like she hears oh my, me say it. It's the that. best. Yeah. They say so, it's, like like, the, it's like the when, when you buy from a small business, a, an actual person does the happy dance. And I feel the same yes. way. Like when my clients have a positive transfer or whatever the case or get yeah. great eggs or whatever it might be. Like I literally do a happy dance and send them my face crying because I'm so excited. Yes. That feeling, right? Yeah. And like I can't think of anything better to do with my time, you know? Yeah. So that's how I feel about it. 
When you need a ride share, do you only take Uber? You can tell me yeah. seriously. Yeah, I like your Uber one, only. You like have to. I yeah yeah. yeah. I am I like it. <laughs> it's it's really in my in yeah, my DNA. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and last question before we yeah. go: Do you have any phrase or motto or cliche or advice? Anything that you live by? Even if it changes from time to time, is there anything that sticks with you in your head? Yes. I think about this phrase for like – or this concept, I think, all the time, which is like to like remain steadfast on the ultimate vision. Like Mm. don't let go of that, but be flexible on the journey. Mm. Good advice. I have no idea how we'll get there, but as long as we ultimately get to that place – it's the same with fertility, right? Like yeah. focused on the outcome, the end goal of holding that baby in your arms and being flexible on the how we get there for yeah. sure. Which of course is easier said than done depending yeah. on what what outcome we're looking at. But of course. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Lauren, thank you so much. We'll be sure to link out to co-fertility and yes. I'm going to dig up your New York Times article right now too. And I'm just so <laughs> Grateful that the universe aligned for you and this company was created. You're going to help so many people. Thank you so much. This was really a fun conversation. I absolutely love what Cofertility is doing. And I'm not going to lie. I have learned so much, even just in these past six months, compared to three years ago, compared to five years ago, and obviously compared to 12 years ago or so when this was really talked about more. I do wanna caution one thing. I think that people get so excited about egg freezing that they are like, oh my God, I have a guaranteed insurance policy. But we don't, we don't know. We don't know and nothing is a guarantee. I hate even bringing this up, but the whole Kourtney Kardashian coming out about her egg freezing and how none of them were viable, that happens. And it doesn't matter how much money you have or how many other kids you have. Sometimes you can freeze your eggs and they don't survive the thaw. Sometimes you can freeze your eggs and when you mix them with sperm, the sperm and the egg don't like each other. So just when you are going through egg freezing treatment, if you decide to do it, Make sure that you have somebody helping you, coaching you, and make sure that your doctor is there to answer all the questions. Ask how many rounds you should do. Ask what number is good. Ask how they defrost them or thaw them when the time comes. These are points that people don't think about. They think that once they're doing their egg freeze, they're good to go. So I wanna thank you so much for being here today. Please, please follow, share, like, and listen. If you're going through infertility or wanna talk about egg freezing, please reach out to me. You can grab a free 30-minute call with me by visiting my business website incirclefertility.com or just message me at the fertility chick at incirclefertility or at abby feeder on instagram we have an amazing show next week per usual and i can't wait for you to hear it have a great one